Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering podcast, featuring New York sports talk from a long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. Got a big show for you this week. NFL Draft is coming up on Thursday, the first round, second and third round on Friday, rounds four through seven on Saturday. We're going to dive into the headlines, preview the NFL Draft with our NFL guy, Joe Dalvizio. He'll be joining me in the studio in a little bit. We're going to break down the big headlines, what the Jets might do, what the Giants might do, whether Kyler Murray is going number one overall, some good fits for some of these top prospects on the board, all that coming up in just a bit. Also be joined today by the baseball beat. Will Schneiderhan and Anthony Sarbellini are in the studio today. We are going to break down the first, basically, month of the season, catch up what's going on with the Mets, the Yankees, some of the interesting stuff going on around the league. That's coming up later in the show. Be sure you stick around till the end for this week's two-minute drill. We're going to talk about why spoilers suck. In other words... Those of you going to see Avengers Endgame this week, do us all a favor. Don't spoil the movie for those who have not had a chance to see it yet and couldn't get there as fast as you. I'll explain more later in the show, but we get our own this week's opening tip. We're going to take a look at this disastrous head coaching search from St. John's right after this. So you know what my goal as a head coach is to win a championship. It's been done before. You think about the, the great players that have played here, and I've watched these guys from afar. Uh, the Berries, Mark Jackson, and that just brings back a lot of memories. But now I want to say let's create some more memories. We're going to get at them. When you come into that arena for two hours, it's going to be sheer entertainment. All right, and we are back with this week's opening tip. That clip you just heard from the St. John's press conference, courtesy of new head coach Mike Anderson, who St. John's hired to replace the resigned Chris Mullen as head coach. On the surface, you look at Mike Anderson's resume, it's not a bad hire, actually. This guy has been a coach since 2002. He started UAB, took the Blazers to three straight NCAA tournaments out of Conference USA, which is a big deal because back then, Conference USA was loaded. You had John Powery's Memphis teams, Louisville's in the league, Cincinnati was in that league. All of these guys were there, and he got them there. He had the big upset. He got uh, UAB to the Sweet 16 one year. And went on to Missouri after that. Took Missouri to the Elite Eight in 2009. Ended up at Arkansas after that. Went to the NCAA tournament three more times. Anderson has gone to the tournament nine total times since 2002. Compared to just four for the entire Red Storm program in that same period. So he's accomplished some stuff, which is good. He also is one of just four active head coaches with 15 plus years of experience without a losing record. And... Considering how hard it is in college to replace all your talent and do this, it's not bad. This is, on the surface, this is a guy who's a professional coach. He will do well. But there's some bad news here. Mike Anderson just got fired by Arkansas. And Arkansas is not exactly a basketball powerhouse. And he had a lot of ties to that school. He coached as assistant under Nolan Richardson when they won the national championship in 95. He spent the last eight, nine years there. And Arkansas said, enough. They sent him out. They hired Eric Musselman from Nevada to take his place. And Mike Anderson, deep roots in the South, which is great, but he has no connection to the New York area whatsoever. And that makes this a very curious choice for St. John's because is he a good basketball coach? Sure he is. He's shown he can win. He doesn't lose. He gets the tournament pretty much every other year, which is nice. But how do we end up here where Mike Anderson was the best St. John's could do? Let's go back here a little bit. Go back to on 
national championship night on April 8th when the reports come out that Chris Mullen is resigning. And Chris Mullen, he took St. John's to one NCAA tournament where they made the first four this year, got wiped out by Arizona State, and he said, you know what? I'm stepping down. I'm moving on. The program can find a new head coach. AD Mike Craig, apparently his first choice was Bobby Hurley from Arizona State. Craig is a former Duke guy, Bobby Hurley, with the Duke connections, so he passes on the on the thing. Bobby Hurley says, you know what? I'm good. I'll stay at Arizona State. He gets a big money deal from Arizona State. Okay, you could say, fine, you know, Arizona State has big pockets. They want to keep their coach there. The next logical fit would have been Iona's Tim Cluis. Cluis has done nothing but win in New Rochelle. He has a 199-108 career record at Iona. He's gone to the NCAA tournament six times, which again, six times in nine years. Far more than St. John's four in about 17, but we'll, that's besides the point. He, including the fact he got an at-large bid out of the Metro Atlantic Athletic Conference in 2012, which is unheard of. The last one prior to that was in the mid-90s. I think Manhattan got one. And Cluis, the St. John's alum, viewed it as his dream job, but the school's not interested in him at all for some reason. St. John's offers this job to Porter Moser from Loyola, Chicago. You remember him as the coach took the Ramblers to the Final Four last year. They offer him an eight-year deal, salary north of $2 million a year. He says no. They, they are interested next in Ryan Odom. Remember him from UMBC, the team that upset Virginia two years ago in the NCAA tournament as the first 16 to beat a one? He said no. He decided he'd rather stay at UMBC than coach St. John's. And then what happens last week? A prominent St. John's booster, Mike Rapoli, who is the founder of Vitamin Water, is the founder of Body Armor. He goes on WFAN with Mike Francesa and goes scorched earth on the St. John's program. I have pulled two clips for you from that interview with Francesa, which you can hear on his podcast feed, but here's some interesting stuff from the Mike Rapoli interview. Let's go to clip number one. The culture at St. John's right now is toxic. Forget about the Toxic, wow. Toxic, toxic. And right now, you know, it's just sad because this is a school I have a passion for. This is hard for me to say. I love this school. I believe this school. You know, and, and to watch this, and listen, basketball is basketball. We know, we know the importance of academics. We know the importance of new buildings. At the end of the day, the basketball team and our, this sport is the front porch of your house. We look like we have a pretty ugly front porch right now. <laughs> think about what looks. What do you think the inside of the house looks like? If the front porch looks like crap. This is what's happening. These guys don't get it, Mike. Okay, not a good start there. When one of your biggest boosters says the program is toxic, that's not great, folks. And this is a guy who's poured a lot of money into that program. He talks about in his interview that he gave uh, Craig a hundred thousand dollars to renovate the locker rooms of the men and women's basketball teams because they were so out of shape and so outdated. This guy cares about St. John's, and the fact he's coming out and saying that the program is toxic is not good. But wait, there's more. St. John's is a brand right now. Mike, you know how this school was in the 70s and yep, 80s. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, Holy Cross High School, Malloy, St. Francis. Absolutely. Brent, it was a yeah, big Old deal. Island kids. It was yep. a big deal. Yep. Now they all go away. You know, and then these board members, these, these I'll say spineless board members, spineless. Either you've got to resign from the board or, 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 or jump in our camp because this is a, 
This is not a New York embarrassment anymore. This is a national laughing stock right now. We are a national laughing stock. You heard that, guys. St. John's is now a national laughing stock. This was the only program in the country that went into the live recruiting period without a head coach. And no competent program does that. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, we were laughing at UCLA for the fact that they kept getting turned down for coaches. They got turned down by John Calipari, Jamie Dixon. They still left with a good coach and Mick Cronin. Mick Cronin did a good job at Cincinnati. St. John's made such a mess of this process that the day after this interview with Rapoli on WFAN, which again, I recommend if you want more about this, go back and listen to it. It was incredibly great radio. So the day after this process, Cluis comes out, pulls his name out of the job and says, I'm going to stay at Iona. I, I would have liked to have it work out there, but the way this process is going, I decided to stay where I am. And no, basically in those words, that's not good. You had the coaches from Iona, UMBC, and Loyola Chicago decide, you know what? Our mid-major situations are better than coaching for St. John's, who plays in the Big East, in Madison Square Garden, and you have the New York City spotlight to work with. But they all said, you know what? Our situations are better. This is how you end up with Mike Anderson as the head coach. This is nothing against Mike Anderson. He has shown he's a good basketball coach. He will do the best he can there. I mean, he's already trying to get the players involved. He brought three of them up at his press conference, including LJ Figueroa, who is in the transfer portal. If Anderson get him to stay, that would be huge for St. John's. But the fact of the matter is, this is a dysfunctional process. We have heard that the AD, Mike Craig, wanted Tim Cluis. He wanted Bobby Hurley. Apparently, the administration would not pay up for Bobby Hurley. And then they showed no interest in hiring Tim Cluis, which is why they were forced to go to guys like... Porter Moser, and Ryan Odom, who both turned them down. This was the obvious hire. The obvious hire was Tim Cluis. He was a perfect fit for this job. He would have won a lot of basketball games there. He showed he can win in this area, but the AD got overruled. The administrator said, no thanks. We know what we're doing. This is not how a good program works. The good program hires the AD, and Mike Craig is a highly qualified AD, he spent 30 years at Duke. He worked with Coach K for a very long time. He knows what he's doing. You hire that man and let him pick his head coach. You don't get in his way when you have not been relevant in college basketball for years. St. John's, this is not the 1980s anymore. Chris Mullen is no longer on campus leading you the Final Four. Chris Mullen is now an ex-coach because your program is a disgrace. This was so easy. They took the easiest hire in the world and turned into a dumpster fire. And now, best of luck to you, Mike Anderson. But the odds are not great that you're going to last much longer than either Chris Mullen, who got just four years, or Steve Lavin, who got five. St. John still thinks they are the most relevant basketball program in the New York area. They have not played like it for years. And I'll tell you, they are at best the third most successful program in New York State over the last decade. Obviously, number one is Syracuse. And Tim Close Iona has done a hell of a lot more than St. John's has in the last decade. Best of luck to you, St. John's fans. Hopefully, your administration gets a clue in the future. Hopefully, they give Anderson everything he needs to win, but not counting on it. Up next, 
we'll dive into the NFL draft with Joe D'Aloisio right after this. With the first pick in the 2018 NFL Draft, the Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. All right, we are back on the Just and the Suffering podcast. You just heard Commissioner Roger Goodell announcing Baker Mayfield's the number one overall pick to mixed reaction from Cleveland Brown fans, who I'm sure they would all take that back now. Joining me today to preview the upcoming draft is coming up this week, our NFL guy, Joe D'Aloisio. Joe, welcome. How are you? Mike, always a pleasure. How are you? I'm doing very good. Before we dive into the draft, we have some important business to discuss. The NFL schedule came out last week. Any big uh, stuff you want to get off your chest about the schedule? Um, not necessarily in terms of hot takes, but three things jumped to my attention right away. Um, number one, I'm sure your listeners already know I'm a Green Bay Packers fan. So my first, the first thing that I noticed right away off the schedule is Green Bay is playing five of their first eight games at Lambeau Field, including a stretch of from week two to week four, three games straight at home i think that's great i also think that's a curse because you know green bay prides themselves in that home field advantage i think they have a very unique home field advantage in terms of good luck playing in green bay in december in january when it's cold and having that that many games early on at home when the weather's still relatively good that doesn't play in their advantage so i don't like that um, another thing that I was like, wow, the New York Jets, are they leaving the tri-state area? I mean, <laughs> they are legitimately not going further west than Cincinnati this season. Yeah. Uh, per ESPN, I think they're not flying more than six, uh, less, just under 7,000 miles. That's yeah. that's insane. Yeah, it's the, I think it's the, they say it's their uh, least travel-heavy schedule in their history. That's got to play in their favor, right? Yeah. I mean, I thought that was pretty interesting. And also the Oakland Raiders, um, they have the hardest schedule uh, based on their opponents and their win-loss percentage from last year. Uh, I think that's going to be interesting because you have a you know new dynamic there with uh, with Gruden running the show and Mike Mayock. So it, I think that's going to be really really interesting. Yeah, scouts not welcome in Oakland, by the way. Wait, exactly. <laughs> I mean, uh, s- ship them home. Yeah. We don't need you here. I- I felt bad. I mean, I'm not a big Raider supporter. I've never liked that team, but like the NFL did them dirty with the schedule the way they did it because like they had that six week stretch where they they don't play in the Coliseum from I think week two until November, which is absurd. First of all, I just think that they shouldn't they shouldn't be going to Vegas. I don't mm-hmm. think Vegas deserves a team. Mm-hmm. Oakland is such a loyal a loyal place, a loyal fan base. Okay. Why move them out? Um, but I think the NFL is is always better when you see the Oakland Raiders playing good football when Derek Carr's on his game uh, a couple of seasons ago I thought that was exciting I you know I remember watching Rich Gannon uh, lead the Oakland Raiders Tim Brown at wide receiver I mean that's the Oakland Raiders that I think of and I I want to see them be better yeah um but having the hardest schedule doesn't help no it doesn't and like I said like Literally, I think it's week three. And it's like a, there's a stretch there where they have road game, road game, London by road game, road game, which is absurd. You should you should not have to go that well without having your fans in your corner. Without a ba- without a doubt, without yeah. it's like a double stab you in the back. Like, hey, by the way, guys, you're gonna lose them anyway. So you sh- here's a stretch where you don't have to worry about yeah. coming to the Coliseum. 
Yeah, I saw Peter King's column this week on Football Morning in America. He said that the league realized they made a mistake with that. Tampa Bay is the same situation where they have the same kind of deal. They said, we're never going to do that again, but tough luck for uh, those guys this year. Too late, though. Yeah. I mean, great that you noticed it, but uh, it's done. It's a done deal. I yeah. mean, where are these people? Why aren't they coming together before they release the schedule and saying, hold up, guys, something's not right about yeah. that. We got to change this around. It's like they. It's it's almost as if like they knew it. They knew people were going to talk about it, and they're like, "Oh well, there's nothing we could do at this point." Yeah, yeah, they have themselves pu- pushed against the wall because they have to have it out. They want to have it out before the draft, so. without a doubt. Yeah. So I mean, it's like shame on shame on everybody that came together to make these schedules and not realize what was happening earlier on. Okay, let's enough of the schedule. Let's let's feel like it's just going down a uh, dark path here, and then we'll go in, back into the draft. Which is what everybody's actually and we here can't for. play the schedule game because that's one game I can't stand. Just mm-hmm. looking at opponents and saying, "All right, win loss, win loss, win loss." Okay, win win win. I, it it's never happens. Yeah. You never get them right. It, it's very it's a very hard game to predict. Yeah, I I for those who care. There is a blog post on the Just and the Suffering blog this week about the New York Jet and New York Giants schedule. Let's take a quick look at that. So we're going to do that over there. But here we're going to talk about the draft. All right. Yeah, so let's go into the draft here. We'll start at the top with the Arizona Cardinals with the number one overall pick. There's been a ton of buzz about whether or not they're going to take Kyler Murray. Do you think they take the bullet, bite the bullet there and take him, or do you think they go somewhere else? So I thought it was foolish that the Arizona Cardinals – fired their head coach after one year I think it's very hard to come in no matter the job no matter the position and expect to turn things around one year it's going to take time I think it would be extremely foolish if the Arizona Cardinals decided to say hey we saw Josh Rosen for 16 games we don't want him anymore let's go with Kyler Murray I just don't think I don't understand how you could put someone to the side so quickly when you just don't have enough of a sample size now you tell me josh rosen rosen stinks this year and then next year you're caught in the same scenario where you're at the top of the draft okay you gave him two years didn't work out you move on but one year too soon i don't think you go with murray if i'm the if i'm the arizona cardinals yeah, I feel like it's a big waste of resources. If you have the number one overall pick and you just took a quarterback, take another one? I mean, come on. Uh, it just doesn't make sense. They have so many other needs. And by the way, Josh Rosen, it's not like he was throwing to, you know, he had the best weapons around him. Yeah, Larry Fitzgerald's there, but he's a veteran. He has no help um, on, on either side of the ball. That team has plenty of holes. I mean, you draft a guy like Nick Bosa right off the bat and your team just got better. Yeah, that we'll see. I mean, Cliff Kingsbury is in love with Kyler Murray, so I would not surprise if he goes there. Well, spoiler, I think I think Kyler Murray's best fit is Arizona. Yeah. But because of Cliff Kingsbury, yeah. I just don't think they should draft him. Yeah, Cliff Kingsbury, I'm going to go on my soapbox for 30 seconds here. How this man got a job in the National Football League when he was a losing head coach at Texas Tech just because he's friends with Sean McVay does not mean he's qualified to be an NFL coach. He could not win in the Big 12 where all your job is just to outscore everybody. I mean, that's the standard now. If you know McVay, if you've spoken to McVay, if you've touched McVay, you now have a good shot of becoming a head coach in the NFL. So we need to go, we need to go shake McVay's hands that we can become head coaches. I think there's hope. Yeah. That's a good chance. I mean, that's a brilliant idea for me, actually. Yeah, let's go. After this podcast, we'll go fly out to L.A., go find Sean McVay, and go hang out with him for 24 he hours. Maybe a little busy, but... Yeah. I'm willing to take that chance. Yeah, I'm willing to take that chance as well. Let's go to the local teams for a little bit, too. Let's start with the Jets, who are sitting at pick number three. 
And right now, the buzz around them is that they desperately want to trade down. Because obviously, remember last year, they gave up three twos to go up and get Sam Darnold. Now they want to recoup some of that capital. So do you think they're going to trade down? Do I think the New York Jets are going to trade down? Here's what I'll say, and you'll probably hear me say this a bunch on this podcast. If you think the guy is there, if you think the franchise player is there, you take that guy. If you don't, there's nothing wrong with trading down. Um, I personally, I think I would stay at three. I think I would stay at three and see what happens at one and two. Um, I think if you end up with Williams, the defensive tackle out of Alabama, that's not a bad pick. That He's not a bad player to add on that defense. You pair him with Leonard Williams. You have a new defensive quarter, uh, coordinator with, in Greg Williams. I think that would be a great fit. If you're not sold on a guy like him, though, and you know teams are willing to give you, you know, you exchange first-round picks, maybe you get next year's first round and some other capital, then it's worth exploring. But don't just leave that spot because you're getting more picks. If the guy's there, you got to take him. Yeah, I mean, Quentin Williams is a guy who I've seen on top of a lot of boards. A lot of teams think that he's the best player in this draft. And, like, they, you got to look at him. You can look at Josh Allen, who get the edge rusher they haven't had since John Abraham in 2005. I mean, there, they, there's a lot. There's, I mean, I feel like if you listen to sports talk radio, especially in New York, um, in the upcoming days leading up to the draft, almost every analyst that has been on has mocked a different defensive player to the New York Jets. Yeah. Um, I think the pick will be defensive. I think there's plenty of talent at that three spot to stay and get a Pro Bowl caliber player. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for sure. This draft is defensive heavy. From what I've heard is like that it's all defense and that you want any picks from 16 to 45 as possible. That's where the value is in this draft. This is why I think the Jets want to get down there because they have – I don't think they have any picks in that range. I th- again, I think if you could get a future first and then also some more capital, I think it's worth it. As long as you have somebody in that range that you think could be an immediate, making an immediate impact. You draft Williams at number three, I think he makes an immediate impact. You start to go and get guys between the 17 and 32 range you gotta you gotta nail those yeah you, you do gotta have- nail those I mean don't get me wrong you gotta nail every pick <laughs> that's just the fact of the matter especially if you're number three you gotta nail that pick but again you gotta make sure you get the right return yeah they do they're gonna have a fun night on went on Thursday another interesting team the Giants they have two first round picks thanks to that Odell Beckham trade we, we killed the last time we were here but we're going to we'll forget the trade for a bit. They have two picks in the first round. What are the odds they get a quarterback of one of those two picks? Uh, I think the odds are high. I don't think they should. Yeah. I do not. Again, I am not crazy about this year's uh, quarterback class. I think that's pretty obvious when you talk to most people um, that, have, that have covered the NFL, covered college football. Um, this is not a quarterback-heavy draft. I still think that we're going to see way too many quarterbacks taken in this first round. Because, again, you don't have a franchise quarterback. You're not you, winning. You don't win. Yeah. Exactly. So every team needs one. And every team is desperate to find one. And the quicker you find one, the odds of you becoming better right away happens. Yeah. So you, you, you want to find that next guy. If I'm the Giants, I don't 
I don't give in. You shouldn't give in, especially in this first round. You're at number six. You're at number 17. There's plenty of offensive line talent. There's plenty of defensive talent. You can walk out and draft a four defensive stars. You're the Giants. You, you attack those needs early on, and then come third round, come fourth round, that there's someone hanging around that you want to try out maybe. I'd rather you take a take a shot with a later pick than waste two first round picks, one of them, six or seven, on a quarterback. Yeah, for sure. And did you hear what Dave Gellman had to say last week about the uh, New York Giants new plan? Of course I did. Let's play for the listeners so they can hear what they had to say about his new model he wants to employ. How, how about the Green Bay model? <laughs> you know? Aaron Rodgers falling to him while I had Brett Favre. You know that. You know he sat two and a half years, I think, or three years. You know it, it, that's that's what you'd like to do. Did he just say he wants Eli Manning to start for another couple of years in that clip? Yeah, basically he's saying Eli's still our guy, and he's he's sticking he's sticking with Eli Manning, <laughs> um, which is ludicrous. But again, what the hell's going on out here? Again, it, it's crazy to think that they're going to stick with Eli Manning. But you listen to that that clip, it makes you feel like they're not going to draft a quarterback in the first round. It sounds as if Eli's going to stick around for at least two more seasons. Maybe they take a guy third, fourth, later in the draft, see if they could develop, see what you have in him, and he may be that next guy. Now, the Giants could be the worst team in the NFL next season and end up at the top of the pick, and you got a lot of what seems or is projected to be good quarterbacks. And you fix that problem right away, and you still have Eli for one more year. Yeah. Do I think he should still be playing? Absolutely not. But we've seen so many teams throw out these rookie quarterbacks right away, and they get completely demolished, and their careers are ruined. Yeah, I agree with that. And the, the buzz around them has been Daniel Jones. That's the thing I've heard ties them the most. Is that apparently they love him because of the Duke connection, because the connection with Cutcliffe and Eli. So like. I could see the scenario where they take Daniel Jones at 17 and say, you know what, you sit behind Eli for two years and we have our Green Bay model. Okay, I think that that makes a ton of sense. Yeah. I have another team eyeing Daniel Jones where if you think about it, you may be like, wow, okay, that could actually work really well. And even though I'm a Jet fan, I don't want it to work. Do you hear? Do you Miami. Think, not Miami. New England. New England. Yeah. You know, I don't think there's anything wrong with the Patriots snagging Daniel Jones and having him sit three, two, three, four years, that has a potential of being very dangerous. I mean, Daniel Jones, he's a clean-cut guy. He reminds me a lot like Tom Brady in terms of his demeanor, his work ethic, his attitude. Um, he's been well-coached. He's, he's a good football player. You develop him in that system— it could be, you know, he could be that replacement. Remember, there, there's no guy sitting behind Brady right now. Nope, that guy's in San Francisco right now. That time is coming. Yeah. Right? That that yeah. window, I know they just won a Super Bowl, but, I mean, it's starting to shut. Yeah. You can't, I can't imagine Tom Brady's going to be out there in four, four years from now. Yeah, he's probably not. So, uh, so it, it's it's time that they start looking. And if mm-hmm. if Jones were to, were to slip, I think that'd be a perfect fit. Yeah, it would be. Let's go to some teams here. Who do you think would be the movers and shakers of this first round? We have a lot of teams with multiple picks in here. Green Bay has two. Oakland has three. Uh, Seattle has two now after they traded uh, Frank Clark to the Chiefs to get a first-round pick back from them. So, like, well, well, you just stole my thunder because I listed four teams 
that could be movers and shakers here. And all four of those teams have multiple picks in that first round. Green Bay, the New York Giants, the Seattle Seahawks, and the Oakland Raiders. The Oakland Raiders intrigue me the most with a three. What what do they do? Do they stay do they stay home and just draft and try to nail those draft picks? Do they pair a couple of them up to move even closer to the top to get their guy? I think that's really intriguing. Same thing with Green Bay. Um, the last time Green Bay had two first round picks, they ended up with BJ Raji and Clay Matthews. I think that worked out pretty well for them. But do they pair those two two picks to get somebody early on? Do does Green Bay decide? Um, we don't we're not comfortable at 12 let's see if we can move to that 15 to 20 range and pick up another first rounder for next year and some later lateral you know some some later picks seattle's interesting with what they just did with with frank clark shipping him to to kansas city and of course the new york giants that we just talked about uh they there's a lot of potential for them to stockpile some picks and and move up and down this draft board yeah, they definitely could. Another thing I think is interesting is that the Raiders, with those three first-round picks, could you see that scenario? I'm trying to think of the players out there where you could say, you know what, we'll take a, a pick and turn him into a player. Do you think you have any players that could be on the move in this draft? You know what? I really don't see any big names, big player names that are already in the league um, moving. I think one guy that everyone's talking about is obviously Josh Rosen. Gets tra- if Murray gets drafted by the Arizona Cardinals, Josh Rosen will be traded on draft day. Yeah. Uh, I think that's that's a given. Uh, I think there's your perfect opportunity if you're the New York Giants. Here you go. Take a chance on Josh Rosen. You're probably going to have to give up a third pick or later. Why not? Um, another guy that would be interesting, um, and to keep an eye out, A.J. Green. I was just going to ask about him because I think he would be a perfect fit for several teams. I think he – exactly. He'd be a perfect fit for several teams. Big target. Yes, he's getting old. Yes, he has an injury history. But I can't imagine that asking price being too high. I, I mean, if I'm the Jets and I have two threes, I would call Cincinnati tomorrow and say, hey, I'll give you one of my threes for A.J. Green right now. I, I, th- I think that that should be enough to get him. Yeah. Um, and if they haven't had that conversation yet, they're foolish. But yeah. I, I would assume that there would be a lot of teams calling Cincinnati for A.J. Green. And you know, it's, that also may be part of the reason why the Jets look at trade back, give themselves more assets that we can afford to give up a pick for green or something like exactly. that. Exactly. If you give up, if you add a, a second and then like two thirds, let's just say, you know, you could afford to give up one of those thirds and, and another additional pick um, and still have all your draft picks and then acquire a big guy like that. Yeah. I mean, that'd be that'd be a perfect addition for, for the New York Jets who still lack that, you know, pass catching, that playmaking wide receiver. Okay. As you know, we like to play games in this podcast when you're on. So, Of course. The, the last game was a mixed bag game for you. So we'll recap what happened here. So you predicted Le'Veon Bell was signed with the Dolphins or Indianapolis. Neither one happened. He went to the Jets. You did call Antonio Brown getting traded, but you said he would get traded to the Jets. So a half point. Uh, you said the giant quarterback would be Eli Manning, which is correct. You had Nick Foles playing in Philadelphia, which is wrong. I did say I did call Jacksonville. I think they're going to regret that. Yeah. I would not be surprised they do. I think Philly's going to regret that. Now, I'm, Carson Wentz is a great quarterback. Yeah. But if Carson Wentz gets injured again, now you're now now you're freaking out a little bit if you're Philadelphia. Yeah. At least you had someone there that went, hey, they won he won you a Super Bowl. Yeah. Now you don't know what you have there. Okay. That one, then we have 
team that's most improved, you said the New York Jets, which I can buy that. The Raiders are in the conversation as well, but I think those are the two most improved teams in the league right now. Uh, you had the Rams taking the big, biggest step back, which, again, debatable. I would say probably the Steelers at this point. They lost both Bell at and Brown. At this point, yeah. And they re- didn't really do much to add. And it seems like every every other day there's a new story in the news about the Steelers and how dysfunctional they are and this player coming out and then other players. Def- it's just a whole mess in Pittsburgh. I think they need a new PR guy, but that's just me. Yeah, they need a lot of things in Pittsburgh right now. Yeah, I think so. And the top pick, you said Nick Bowes. I still have a chance of that one coming through. And you said the first team to take quarterback would be Jacksonville or Denver. So, Well, now that Jacksonville has Nick Foles, I don't think that'll happen. I still could still see Denver. If Joe I F- could still see Denver, even though they acquired uh, Joe Flacco for a bag of, of, of chocolates, basically. Yeah. yeah. By the way, some breaking news. Um, we are recording this podcast on Tuesday, April 23rd. Um, Coach Cliff Kingsbury has just announced that the team has not finalized that first pick. So they're still doing work trying to figure things out. Well, we're waiting. Running out of time, Cliff. Um, I really don't didn't expect Kingsbury to come out today and be like, "Hey, we are drafting X with the first with our first pick." I, uh, I think a lot of this has to do with hype, you know. Yeah. There, the, I'm sure there's people that are interested. Um, I mean, NFL Network basically tweets tells their analysts don't tip the picks on Twitter. We want the suspense of the TV audience. And not only for the TV audience, but I'm saying like. You want to be able to field calls, yeah. right? I'm sure there's people that are calling about that number one pick. Yeah. So you know, if you if you tell them what you what people want, you're, they're probably going to be like, "All right, you have it." That's not our guy. Anyway. I mean, you can always hope somebody does the Mike Ditka and says, "Hey, I'll give you our entire draft for number one." That could happen. Yeah. I don't think it will. I don't think so either. Let's play another game. So we're gonna play. We I come up with a list of some of the top players in this draft. We're gonna put some two minutes on the clock here. We're gonna come up with the best fits for these guys. So you ready to go? Let's do it. All right, so. Get oh, this, nah, this is some good music, yeah. Mike. Yeah, I had to get the NFL prime time music uh, for this. Now we're talking. All right, let's start out with Kyler Murray. Okay. Presume number one pick in this draft. Kyler Murray, I don't think the Arizona Cardinals are going to draft him, but I do think his best fit is Arizona, and that's because of Cliff Kingsbury. They have that relationship. Um, I think he's that quarterback type that Kingsbury needs and wants in order to try to succeed in the NFL. Okay, uh, Nick Bosa, the other option of the top pick. Okay, Nick Bosa, quite frankly, any team. Yeah. If you get Nick Bosa, he is your can't-miss prospect. Ultimately, I think Arizona would be foolish not to pick Nick Bosa, but any team, if Nick Bosa is on your board, you run and you draft. Quentin Williams. No chance that this team could get him because they are way too high. But if they move pieces around, I don't think they have enough pieces to do it. But if they can move into that top five, Tennessee Titans. That would be a good fit. They lack the pass rushers. They lack a force up front. I think he would be a huge addition. Uh, Josh Allen, the edge rusher. The edge rusher, Josh Allen, Oakland Raiders. New, new Khalil Mack. Okay, okay. bingo. Okay. Wide out DK Metcalf, the workout warrior from the combine. The workout warrior who I don't think is going to be uh, anything special in the NFL, which means he would fit excellently in Buffalo with yes, the Buffalo sure. Bills. I mean, his 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 player type fits Buffalo very well, and they they need a big target. They need a vertical guy. They got a big arm in Josh Allen who who could launch the ball from one end zone to the other. 
bring DK on board. Not very accurately either, so you need his, his but, man to get it. I mean, <laughs> DK could run all over the place. He could jump as high as the moon, so why not? That's the perfect fit. Let's go to Dwayne Haskins. This one may throw you off a little bit. The Washington Redskins. I've heard that one, actually. Okay, so Washington, perfect draft position for Haskins. Not too early, not too late. I think he would fit really well there. No, I think he would fit well in Washington. There's no need to start him right away. Obviously, Alex Smith is out, but he could sit behind Case Keenum. If that's a disaster, you'll probably see him start the second half of the season. Okay, Drew Locke, next quarterback. Denver Broncos. Reason why, he checks off all of the boxes that John Elway wants in a quarterback. Height, size, arm strength. I think there's no better fit for the Broncos than Drew Locke. We'll skip Daniel Jones. I think you made it clear. I think New England's the best fit for him. New England. Yep. Okay. Uh, Ed Oliver, defensive tackle. Uh, call me bias. I think the Green Bay Packers. I think they have positioned themselves to really change their attitude, change the way that they play. They've made several additions in free agency. You add a guy like Ed Oliver to a defensive line that already has uh, Kenny Clark and Mike Daniels, I think that is a great fit, and he could thrive in that defense. And last but not least, the Alabama offensive lineman Jonah Williams. I think the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, he may not be there. There's a good chance he won't be there. Who knows? I've seen mock drafts of him going top five. I've seen him going outside of the first round. These things have varied all over the place. But you just invested in Nick Foles. You want to protect him. You have Leonard Fournette. He's been injured. He's young. You want to open up those holes. Jonah Williams is your guy. There you have it. That's the best fits for the top prospects in this draft. And I agree on the Jonah Williams. I think Jacksonville needs a lineman. I just don't know if it's going to be Hammer Jawan Taylor from Florida. Those are the two fits for that spot. I think those are the two. I think, again, they need that offensive lineman desperately to uh, protect Foles, open up those holes. I think if Williams is, is there... I would take Williams. The other one I've heard that I'm going to disagree with you on, I think DK Metcalf, I think Buffalo's a good fit, but I feel like I've heard a lot of rumbling about him to Green Bay. I feel like that would be an interesting fit there. I, I honestly, again, I don't think Green Bay is going wide receiver or tight end at that 12 pick. I think it'd be extremely foolish. What if he falls to 31? Wherever that pick is, they have the Saints. It's the 30. I, I believe it's 30. Yeah. Um, I'm fine with going wide receiver or tight end at 30, not at 12. Now, if you if DK falls there, I I personally don't want the workout warrior. Yeah. I don't think he does anything for that team. I would I would be more optimistic with drafting one of Iowa's tight ends at 30 and taking, you know, an offensive lineman or an Ed Oliver early on. Now, I'm also fine with them taking an offensive lineman at 32. Yeah. Um I think they could find that other talent in the later rounds. All right, there you have it, Joe. Thanks for all the time today. Before we let you go, you want to let everyone know how to find you on social media? Yes, so you could follow me on Twitter at Joe, J-O-E, double underscore. Do not forget that double. Do not forget the double. Otherwise, it will not appear. Double underscore D-A-L-O-I-S-I-O. All right, Joe, thanks for all the time. And also, no, you're a big Mets fan. How do you feel about the Mets playing so far this year? How do I feel about the Mets? I love Peter Alonso. Why the heck didn't they bring him up last year? I like, I love Jeff McNeil. Can we get some more pitching? Can, can we get Di- Dallas Keuchel? Can we, can we try to get Gio Gonzalez? Can we do something? Yeah. There's players out there. Let, let's make some moves. All right, let's make some moves. Let's make some moves. On to the baseball beat there coming in the studio next. We will talk to them right after this.
with a baseball beat. With Will Schneider and Andy Play ball! All right, we are back on the Just and the Suffering podcast. It is time to bring the baseball beat back together. We are about a month into the regular season. We are recording on Monday, the 22nd. Mets are trying to, attempting to play through the raindrops in Philadelphia against Philadelphia tonight. Yankees, Anthony, are you playing today? West Coast. Yep, all West Coast. Yep. Just flew out yesterday. So. Ten, ten game West Coast swing for the Yankees coming up. And it's time to catch up on the baseball season with the baseball beat. With me, as always, first from the New York Yankees side, Anthony Sarbellini. Anthony, how are you doing today? Doing good, Mike. How about you? Doing very good. Also with us, as always, the unofficial co-host of this podcast at times, Will Schneiderham. Will, welcome. How are you? Good, good. Yeah, we're going to hear a lot of Will these next couple of weeks, so let's get, <laughs> get used to him again. So let's get started here with the baseball. Mets and Yankees entering play on the 22nd, both 11 and 10, which, okay, not bad, but at the same time. They've gotten there in different ways. Let's start with the Yankees, who they have an absurd 13 players on the injured list, headlined by Aaron Judge's significant oblique strain. And, I mean, let's start there. I mean, the fact they're calling it significant and not even telling you a grade or a time frame, that's got to scare the hell out of you, Anthony. Well, I mean, yeah, because, I mean, like, we saw uh, Aaron Hicks a couple years ago with his oblique, and he was in and out, in and out. I mean... Aaron Judge is the face of that franchise, and just you, there's you could field an entire separate team with all the players on the injured list right now for the Yankees, and that's to be where they're at right now, which is guys just stepping up and everything. I'm just like, I'll take it, but I'm hoping that the injuries aren't too significant. That guys will be coming back throughout the season, maybe one by one, but it's still April. Yeah, yeah. I think honestly, like I said, it wouldn't happen. And I still stand by it. I think they're going to be fine. I get the need to panic, judge. I mean, in a bleak, really, yeah, you're you're done. You're down for a while. He's got at least six weeks. No doubt about it. Mm -hmm. But, like, Sanchez is coming back. Uh, Cashman was on the fan today. Sounds like um, Hicks is working his way back. Uh, Stanton is working his way back. But it's just, like, I don't know. To me, we've seen as Mets fans, right, the Mets made the playoffs one year with Robert Gazelman and Seth Lugo. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, I, I get it. They're depleted right now, but they're playing. I mean, I, if I'm a Yankees fan, yeah, they're not scoring enough runs. But Paxton, their pitching is it's like the complete opposite of the Mets. Yeah, the Yankees pitching is yeah. Been, well, Paxton really just good. his last two starts. Yeah. What was it? 20, 24 strikeouts. Yeah, his last two it's starts been combined. Damn good. It's Tanaka's been good. I mean, even um, uh, Herman has been good. I if I'm the Yankees, like. The, if the pitching's there oh, yeah. and the reinforcements come back, they're gonna score runs. Yeah, so I'm not I, like yeah. I'm not pressing the panic button. Like I said, yeah. it's still April. eleven and ten. Sox it's, hasn't played well. Yeah. Who knows what Tampa is? Hey, if I'm a Yankees fan, Judge. But also, let's not act like Judge hasn't been hurt before. Yeah, I mean so. he missed what a month and a half last season, something so, like yeah, that. Yeah, and, and I know they didn't play extremely well without him, but. Mm -hmm. It's just all about getting guys back. Right. I, one guy goes down. You're kind of desensitized to it right now as a Yankee yeah. fan, right? One guy goes. It was like with the Mets a few years ago, like it, 2017. Like everybody, everybody, they, everybody. Would, they would win, right? Sorry to cut you off, but they yep. would win, and then like someone would get hurt, and you wouldn't even be able to be happy about the win. So like, listen, you just yeah. go through it. Urshel has played decently. Mm -hmm. Talkman's played decently, and then when they come back, you hope everybody stays yeah. healthy. One thing I. I'm really. I'm not. I mean, I'm kind of surprised, but Clint Frazier, what oh, he has been yeah, doing. Yeah, yeah. Great point. I've yes. always been like, I liked. I was so like upset 
that Clint started the season in the minors. Yeah. I wanted him on the team, but now that he's on the team. He has to be on this team moving forward. I don't care. You find a spot to put him. Well, in. no, he's a f- yeah, future outfielder. Oh, I know he's a future outfielder. But Opposite still. of Tyler Wade, right? Yeah. <laughs> hey, injury creates opportunity, and right now Clint Fraser has an opportunity. He's exactly. gonna have one for a long time because it's gonna be a while for all three of those guys are back. Right, and, and even with. Like Stanton back, you figure you know he'll DH some, so yeah. Frazier will get his at bats. Like, mm-hmm. let's take a second. Let's look at this lineup they rolled out yesterday, which is to me, I was like, saw this. I'm like, what? I, I look at this. It's like, <laughs> it's like DJ LeMayhew leads off, Luke Voigt bats second, Brett Gardner, our friend Sandra Rosa's favorite player, Brett Gardner batting third. That's a big problem. Crit Frazier, Mike Talkman, Gio Urshela, Mike Ford, Austin Romine, and the infamous Tyler Wade hitting ninth. I mean. I get Gladwin needs a day off every now and then, but, like, I get – you're playing the Royals right now. It's fine, and they're terrible, mm-hmm. so you're going to win those games. But, like, how long are you going to keep going with a lineup like this and expect to win games? You kind of have – I bet you kind of have to, don't you? Like, right now, like, you, like I get – so, like, I think this West Coast trip's going to say a lot. If I'm the yeah. Yankees, I just yeah. hope they go 5-5 five and five or whatever it is, come home. Hell, give me 4-6. and six. Let's get yeah. back home I'll with 500. Take, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, like <laughs> – I get one point you think it's got to give at one point it has to you'd think but like I don't know go <laughs> I maybe it's just buying into too many of Cashman's moves but like <laughs> Talkman is decent enough I, I, it's like a decent enough obviously Gardner three I mean what the heck uh, but, yeah, <laughs> but um good for my fantasy team he start he starts me today right <laughs> but like I don't know like I, I think it's overblown it's the Yankees so I feel yeah. like if you're gonna pitch well enough you get Chad Green righted out of the pen with everybody else mm-hmm. who's been pretty well. Yeah, I think you. I think I'll give it two weeks. You can go with it again. Another fourteen to fifteen games, maybe. No, I give that. After that, yeah, you're you, kind of pressing a lot because, like, at one point the so- you got to think the Sox are going to heat. Oh up. yeah, the Sox are going to be back. I would say if this was happening mid-May or even end of May, Bye I would button. start. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But luckily, it's still so early in the season right now that everyone should still be slowly coming back. But and then I mean we're gonna figure out yeah. what teams are too like the Red Sox the Rays stuff I would like say that. by like yeah like two weeks if everybody's back besides Judge mm-hmm. and Hicks I think you're good yeah. well I mean he said basically like Stanton is, is they're hoping to get him back after yeah. the road and tr- Hicks is on the throwing road. and stuff yeah like Tulowitzki like, I forgot about Tulo yeah <laughs> it's hard to, I think everybody did at this point and you know what else would be funny. Jacoby Ellsbury would actually play on this team if he was healthy. Oh, yeah. my God. He'd be a leadoff hitter, maybe. He'd be, ba- he'd be that third. Jacoby Ellsbury. He'd, he'd guard back at leadoff. I honestly forget that he's on the team sometimes. Well, but they pretty much whisked him away. Yeah, yeah, they much. Just, <laughs> they told him, don't even come to spring training. Just take your money and just, <laughs> just sit over there. And the funny thing is, I mean, I, it's just comical at this point. Because every day I look like, oh, somebody else got hurt. Somebody else got hurt. Well, it's like it's like being yeah. a Mets fan. Well, Britain almost like apparently yeah. yesterday he he got through it, but he almost you know did yeah. a number on himself. If you're a Yankee fan, you're sitting there waiting for a game. You're like, oh wow, nobody got hurt this time. No, yeah. it was just like the Mets a few years ago. Yeah, I mean, literally. like like uh, watching it happen from not you know from the other right. side. Like, listen, you know what I got? You don't have to tell me about it. I know <laughs> you have our sympathy. Yeah, no, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just one of those things. Before we move on, is one thing you have to wonder. It's like at one point, it's like. At what point do you have too many of these in a row where it's like just becomes too much to overcome because you're lucky that it's April and that there's so much time, many games left in the season for guys to get better. But like, you got to maintain at least like kind of hover around 500 while these guys are out. 500, get healthy and go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's basically the plan for the Yankees right now. Oh, that's what it has to be. Tread water, get healthy, get hot. That's the whole story of the season right now for the Yankees. Yeah, Mm -hmm. because that team can go like like 19 in five or something. Exactly. Or just put on a stretch, win 12, 15 in a row, something like that. All right, let's go on to the Mets for a bit. The Mets are 11-10. The offense has been very good. 
I mean, think about this. Pete Alonso, who last week I excelled the praise of the Mets for not sticking with the minor leagues to play the service time game. Eight homers, 19 RBIs, leads the team in both categories. Guys like Jeff McNeil hitting 371, which is absurd. <laughs> Every day that guy's in the line, he gets two hits. And then you have your guys like Rosario contributes, Cano contributes, Conforto contributes, J.D. Davis contributing. Just got Ty Frazier back from the DL today. He'll help. But the pitching is a disaster for the Mets. Their ERA over their first 20 games is 561. Then you have some, listen to the ERA of some of these guys on this team, the key guys. Noah Syndergaard, 590. Zach Wheeler, 635. <laughs> Steven Matz, 496. Jason Vargas, our favorite punching boy, 958. Seth, uh, Seth Lugo, 568. Jerry's Familia, 559. I mean, what the hell is going on with this team? This is a team built on pitching. They're all pitching horrendously. Yeah, if you if you combine the Yankees staff and the Mets offense, yeah, pretty good team, right? <laughs> but uh, we were out there with Seattle. Yeah, no, it, it is. Um, is it concerning yet? I mean, when you the thing that bugs me more is like, okay, I can't, Degrom, whatever. Like, I get it. You know, he's gonna have a clunker, but like, he'll have two clunkers and he'll rattle off ten great games. Yeah. Well, no, I don't like, and I, I actually. Wheeler had a good start last time. He's had two in a row. He's actually going cr- yeah. the right direction. Matt's, you know, his numbers are inflated because he had an abysmal start. So, like, I kind of, I'm confident in those two or those three. But Syndergaard just, because, you know, you're watching him, he's still trying to stuff his way through, right? He's not pitching. And that's where I'm getting annoyed where it's like, listen, like, you have to have that guy. Like, t- yesterday should have been a game where where you, he goes out there, he puts the Mets in a position to win, get come out of the road trip with a win, you know, series win. He didn't. No, he got he get he stunk again. Where it's like that, that's where I and I actually do blame a lot. I not I mean him pitching not pitching well is is on him, but the bullpen and all that, I mean Justin Wilson just going on the DL, it's because you can you cannot have this guy Vargas pitching four innings a start. And then, you know what I mean? Because then it's like, listen, nobody else is, hey, it's easy to say, go eight, right? Yeah, right. But nobody's going eight. Nobody's going eight. And so, like, I'm not going to get on to Grom, Wheeler, Matt, maybe Syndergaard if, if they have a clunker and they can't go five or six. You should go six. But if you're, like, it's just like these guys are getting taxed so early because you're paying this guy to go four. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, Vargas is a, is a joke. I mean, Friday night I'm watching that game, and he's got he's goes four innings, one run against the Cardinals. Like, oh great, he might go six today. And then four, at the end of the fourth, he's gone. Like, what? It's a domino <laughs> effect, though. Don't you, you know? You know what I'm trying to say? It's like a yeah. domino effect. It's like it's like it's so unrealistic to be like, oh, it's fine if he goes four because Syndergaard will go seven, Degrom will go mm-hmm. seven, Wheeler will go six or seven. It, it's so unrealistic to have that expectation that. It is so naive to pay him, say you like him, and then he has a what combined like six innings this year, seven innings this year. Yeah, it's just it's it's ridiculous. And I blame a lot of the shortcomings on him. I I truly do. Yeah, yeah, he's a big problem here. Another problem on this team, the skipper, Mickey Callaway, who I swear last year I was off the bandwagon early. I felt like climbing back on at the end of the season. They played well, but I am back off again because. This dude has made some weird decisions along this year. Like, the bullpen <laughs> management is a joke. Like, like you brought the text to me off the air the other day, Will. Like, when Jerry Sermilia in St. Louis, for the first time in a week, has a great outing. Yeah, clean inning. Clean inning. Back out for a second inning, gets in immediate trouble. And then we're like, uh-oh. <laughs> and Wendy has rules. The fact that apparently 
he's not allowed to pitch more than <laughs> one inning. Yeah, he's not getting four outs. So that's very yeah. clear. <laughs> he's he's not pitching more than four uh, three outs, and he's not pitching a tight game on the road. So ninth inning or bust for Edwin Diaz on the road. Which I also don't get because it's like it's like a, it's just a yeah. it's not sound childish, but it's like a stupid way of attempting to to workload manage yeah. him. Where it's like. Uh, like the Yankees do such a again, the Yankees have a plethora, right? Oh, it's yeah, like it's... A, a three guys could close games in that mm-hmm. bullpen. But like you we won't see Chapman for like four days because yeah. we don't pitch him when it's my you're playing the Miami Marlins exactly. and you're up five to one. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say? So it's like Oh no, exactly. It's no. like the guy's what, got seven saves? Yeah. Which is like, okay, like that's a lot. I don't even but it just kills me. It's like don't make up don't try to like cover up your Poor managing by saying he's not going four outs. Because let me tell you, if that's Terry Collins, yeah. you know for damn sure he's going four outs. <laughs> I mean, at that point, you're just gonna start killing your bullpen. There's no for sense sure. for it. Yeah, like, like I like even though as as like much Boone, like Boone gets killed, right? Right. From being as like, I mean, between him and Callaway, n- neither of them are great managers. But Boone would have the whereabouts to go put Chapman into a situation where you get four outs. I mean, I uh, elite closers are elite for that reason. Right. They're not elite because, like, oh, we're going to, like, coddle him. Like, you kidding me? Dad? Diaz probably <laughs> I mean, won the ball. I mean, let's be clear about that game on Monday night, as they were referring to. When Jerks Amelia gets himself in a jam, loads the bases with in the eighth inning, the Mets have one out to get. They could have gone to Edwin Diaz, who had not pitched in three days, had not – the line, his spot line was due ninth, so they don't have to worry about that. And it was a big division game against the Phillies. But and nope. McNeil Robert saved Gass- him, right? Yep. No, McNeil got the double play, and then Familia yeah, walked two then, guys. Yeah, and then yeah, <laughs> Gazellman, yeah. So Gazellman comes in, walks the game, walks the tying run in, and then the Mets bail him out in extra innings, and Mickey gets the win there. But Mickey, again, lineup issues as well. This whole fascination with J.D. Davis at third, McNeil in the left field, he's like, this is a good defensive lineup. No, it's not. If you watch J.D. Davis play, he can't field. Not a good fielder. <laughs> not a good fielder. He hits, but he can't field. Yeah, and it's I, I like him as a player, but you're right. You can't. It's like what is it saying? Like you want the cake and eat it too, or whatever. Like you can't have it both ways. Yeah, Yeah, and then the one that drove me crazy last week. I texted Will about this off the air. (laughs) Friday night in in St. Louis, Keon Broxton ended that game against Adam Wainwright. Seven for nine, two doubles, a triple. Two home runs, yeah. so naturally he is on the bench <laughs> for Juan Lagares. And and, and has Lagares <laughs> showed us not only has Lagares like not only has he not shown us anything this year, has Lagares showed us anything since 2014? Yeah, <laughs> like it's crazy, right? Like, yeah. and also I what one more thing that I hate about it, I feel like he like puts these defensive switches in because he wants to be like, oh, I have the mm-hmm. players, let's use them. But I mean, what game was it? Was it uh, against St. Louis? It was. I mean, there's probably been multiple occasions. Well, yesterday he screwed up because by, Wilson Ramos was the last guy in the bench, right? Yeah, because he pinched because he because when Cano got hurt, he pinched hit with Lagares. With Lagares, exactly. yeah, had to take him out because he needed an infielder. Yeah, so so that's what I mean. How many times? And he did it the other night with Darno against the Phillies, I think. Darno yeah, he sets up Darno to bunt to bunt. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, and then your kite. Well, God forbid your catcher gets hurt. Like, what are we gonna do? Jeff McNeil's the emergency catcher, by the right. way. Which, oh, that's great. So then, when he gets hurt, like, you know what I mean? It's just, why are you? It's Keith Hernandez said it perfectly. You use defensive replacements in like a four-run game, right? Not a like, one-run game. Because there's a cushion <laughs> in a one-run game where it can go south so quick in the National League. You cannot right. do that, and it's yeah. again a testament <laughs> to his inability to manage to this league. Is anything that throws to you? 
we've gone over all of Mickey's mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> How much longer do you think the Mets can win in spite of their manager? Could they win? Yeah. I mean, I give you guys maybe two weeks. <laughs> but I mean, Boone, I mean, Boone does not do stupid stuff like that. Granted, it's a different Boone's league. stupid, but he's not that stupid. <laughs> I say Boone cannot manage. I think I, his pitching is a little I, weird. Yeah, think it's different there. I think Boone uh, follows follows the book too much. Exactly. I yeah. think Boone is like, oh, you know, the stats say he's that Gio and Shaw should bat six. Way too, he's way too involved with analytics, and I think that's why, that's yeah, why Cashman is. wanted him. Well, yeah. They yes. wanted they wanted the new age. It's they why, wanted Girardi out. Mickey's just kooky. Yeah, I was gonna say like, do you think like Mickey's like just nuts like you said or is it even just like too much reading into analytics or is it just I mean he's, I he's wish he was absolutely. into analytics it'd show me that he has any idea what goes <laughs> on on the re- field if he read <laughs> I mean if he read the analytics book Keon Bryson was started yeah. last Friday night so he is just <laughs> absolutely just I don't know what how going does he have a job then I don't know. No, he listen, <laughs> listen. I mean, if we thought Jim Riggleman was gonna fix this, and Jim yeah. Riggleman hasn't really done anything. Well, also, <laughs> I don't blame Riggleman because how far can you go as the bench coach before it's like you're, you're you know what I mean? Like yeah. he's rocking a, thi- a thin line. But also, if Mickey Callaway, the pitching guru, is your coach and your team has the highest starting ERA or top five. He's not doing anything right. Right. Mm-hmm. He's losing you games. Mm-hmm. The pitching is atrocious. Good, I mean, why? I, and I, I, I feel like I do get on him, and some people get on him for stupid things. But like, you watch a game. There's at least three or four times I'll text Mike, and I'm like, Oh my god, what is he doing? <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just Mickey watch. I swear. Right. At what point do they get rid of him? Do they do mid-season, end of season, I, it stuff like that, the, or they would have years? they would have to plummet. No, a couple years. My God, let me tell you, <laughs> if he's the manager in two years. But um, it depends what the record is. Yeah, they, right. I think they would really have to plummet. I think because, they'd really have to plummet. That division is very tight. If they're like. If we get to Memorial Day and they're like seven under five hundred, I could see them just saying, you know what, bye, Mickey, let's go to Riggleman and save the season. But it's like you said, Mike said before too, the National League East in a nutshell, it's kinda like who's uh, oh, you think you're the worst manager? No, I'm the worst manager. Like yeah. Kapler, nobody in Philly wants him. <laughs> Martinez Davey I, Martinez is a joke. He's just like <laughs> he's a body in the dugout right. who like has a title mm-hmm. so it, i think the best manager in the division is brian snicker and it's not yeah. saying much and he really is like yeah he 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 really doesn't have any idea what he's doing <laughs> either so it's like it's kind of like why make the move when you don't really have to which i kind of get by brody right but yeah man if it's close and you don't have any faith in him eesh, goodbye like right. riggleman's nothing great but he's someone who at least has he's, managed and he he's gets like, it he's like a replacing level manager yeah mm-hmm. i just listen mickey ay 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 it drove me crazy. I was like, why didn't they go after Joe Girardi? Like, that would have made so much sense for the Mets. I'm not, I mean, mm. not even like for the Mets' perspective. Just I don't know why a lot more teams aren't going after well, Joe Girardi. A lot of things have said he's just kind of too... Uh, too old school still, not, even not the, looking well, into analytics. Not like, well, that's what it is. He's, yeah. But he's also by the book. Where like mm. Boone is by the book in one way, Girardi was by the book in another way. Right. So I get it. I get it. But still... Hey, any hey, remember when they hired him? Everybody was kind of like, "Woo, is this good?" Or is this, yeah, <laughs> so everybody everybody was like, "Wow, the mess did something different outside uh, the box. Cool." And then now we're like, now, it's just now we're like, like, "Oh, yeah, that was not a good choice." Yeah, so I, I, it is. It's like you said. They, there's a lot of games where the pitching has let them down. I could say the offense that hasn't let. I mean, there's games where they haven't scored five, but it's like it's a getaway day, and Jake Arrieta's pitching a gem. Yeah, but. A lot of the games, man, they fall on your manager, and that and there's no, there's really maybe what five great managers in baseball. Yeah. But still, there's a lot of like fi- there's fifteen like decent ones who don't do stupid yeah. things on a nightly basis right. too. Yeah. Yelich a drive, left center field, it is gone. Three run shot for Yelich. 
All right, let's go into the rest of the league for a little bit here. Offense up everywhere. It's not just the Mets having yeah. pitching issues. The whole league can't seem to get anybody everybody, out. Everybody, like, everybody. So the question is, do you think they juice the baseball? To some degree. Yeah. Oh yeah. Eh. I mean, there has to be there. Tightly wounding and doing something to it. I think it just is. I think it's just. I I personally think pitchers are pitching up a lot more than we ever yeah. have. I get it. Like maybe maybe there's some, but I do. I think there's a lot of up the up in the zone pitching and a lot of inside pitching yeah. that caters some guys. Right. Like I mean, you're elevating and, and also again launch angle. There's a lot of things that go into it. Where before that I'd put before <laughs> juicing the baseball, but at one you know at, at some point you do have to think like the ball's flying out of the ballpark. Something's wrong here. Yeah. I mean, you have to think of something too. These guys are throwing ninety. There's no fast hundred. I mean, no. There's a lot of circumstances. There's so yeah. much more stuff, but I definitely could see where people think the ball is juiced to some degree. I mean, I don't think it's like like no. a bouncy ball. Or something oh yeah, like, like that, a rubber I mean, ball. They yeah. have to be, there's something. Go- I mean, they're tightly wounding it more or something, doing something. Because there's a lot of offensive numbers this yeah. year that you're like, weef. Yeah, that was, that's one of the crazy things. Another crazy thing, Tampa Bay might be one of the best teams in the league right yeah. now. Anthony, what's going, what's going on there? How are they winning? I mean, they're just – they are they do such a good job of just growing young talent. Oh, I have a comment when you're done yeah. about that. I mean, they <laughs> just – but then they get rid of everybody. Yeah. I mean, they're just – I, they're right at the beginning of that cycle where the young just, child's coming. They're just – they're right there. I mean, I mean, as we said but in the earlier shows, like they could be like fighting for a playoff spot. They probably get the last wild card. But, I mean, if they keep playing like this, then they could possibly be up there in the, in the AL East. I, know, I think they're legit. I, really I mean, do. I think they're legit too. Be- but Well, before like, – we, like why on earth would the Pittsburgh Pirates – we all say they're not contending. Even though they're no, leading the division, they're not they're a contending not. team. So when Chris Archer comes available, a 29-year-old who has been awful, mm-hmm. why do you trade Tyler Glass now and Austin Meadows? And I don't know if you guys – have any of you like – because I have the MLB thing, so I flip the Rays on a lot because they're actually fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Austin Meadows is a stud, and Tyler Glass now I think leads the league in ERA. Yeah. Yeah, I did see that in the last and, What a and, horrendous trade for Tampa for then, the Pirates. And then they essentially steal Tommy Pham, who kind of just fell mm-hmm. out of favor, didn't have a position out there. Tampa is good. Yeah. They are yeah. good. Austin Meadows is legit. Like I said, Glassnell's pitching well. Charlie Morton, other than the clunker he just had against Boston, has done well. Mm-hmm. When you watch him play, they're just they have everything. Contact, power, I mean, pitch well enough. I think they're kind of I mean no, they're really good in the field, actually. I think they have the least amount of errors. Like they're just a damn good ball. Well, speaking club. of that, they're like they're more of an all-around team, no, like they, you're yeah. saying. They're not relying too much on the on the long ball They're stuff like that. They're just team. they could do anything. They're a damn good team, and I tell you, when the Yankees play and when they come back on this road trip, it's going to be we're going to see because I think I think Boston might have won that series down in Tampa, but still, like I think Tampa's a good team, man. I I I, I really like them. I like their manager. I think Cash is a good feel. He's bought into what they're doing mm-hmm. down there. I mean. As a team that they have nothing to lose, so if they got a three-game set in New York, they're going to come in and play. Yeah, absolutely. I can't wait to see that. And another thing, there's anything at division, the Red Sox. I don't know what's going on with them because <laughs> they've been off to such a terrible start today. Nate Evaldi goes on the DL. He's going to be gone for, for a while. while. Yeah. They nobody on that team can pitch aside from David Price, which I never thought I'd be saying at this point. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, David Price is the one dependable Red Sox starter because Chris Sale, who signed that extension, has been a disaster. And Porcello has been poor. I mean, Porcello, I mean, Porcello I mean, is good year, bad year. He's back to a bad year. So that that Sale contract was alarming from the get go because yeah. we saw it last year, but um. 
If they won a World Series, they don't care. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> is World Series hangover really a yeah. thing? I guess whatever it is. what it is right yeah. now. Well, it's Chicago. Remember the Cubs? They did it. Yeah. They the, were, the Cubs still haven't come over that. It, yeah. It's, it, and I think that's why there's not getting a lot of nas- too much national attention on it. Like, say this was last year. It's like, oh, your son, J.D. Martinez. What's going on? Right. Yada, yada, yada. But they won. Nobody yeah. cares. Yeah. I mean, it is. It's like, hey, it's the Yankees division to lose, man. <laughs> that's why I keep telling everybody, Yankees fans. Like Boston, they're like, when are they going to turn it around? Yeah. They probably won't. They probably won't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they. Yeah, well, Red Sox. That the thing in their favor. The American League is so so bad. Oh, that, that <laughs> division yeah, too. You can go into a month where you win twenty five games yeah. and you don't even try. I mean, <laughs> they still have a ton of games against the Orioles and the Blue Jays. They're yeah. going to get a lot of wins off of those teams. Oh, no, they really will. Yeah, yeah. it's. Whoever, I mean, at the, with the state of the American League East right now, whoever wins the most against the Orioles is just going to. Well, the American League in general, in general just isn't yeah. good, right? Like, I mean, Kansas City, like Detroit, go, yeah, the say, White Sox. So you go on a road trip where you play, like, the White Sox, the Tigers, and they maybe, you know, come back, or yeah. maybe go to the West Coast, you play the Angels, the Rangers. You're coming around. You're coming yeah. back with some wins. Yeah. Yeah, the Red Sox also had that weird trip where they started off the year with 11 games oh, on the West did, Coast, and that West killed Coast. them. Yeah. They went, like, what, 3-8 in that well, trip? they ran into yeah. the Mariner buzzsaw. Yeah, speaking <laughs> of the Mariners, <laughs> like, what is going on out there? I mean, they're 16-8 and eight yeah. after they dumped the entire world, and <laughs> all they do is hit bombs, and it's funny. I'm like, what the hell's going on out here? What the hell's going on out here? Yeah, they don't pitch a lot. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. I said it off air though that one day. I did say Seattle would hit, but they weren't yeah. going to pitch. And I Jay think- Bruce <laughs> has nine homers. He hit yeah. nine all last year. But what is his average? Well, they had that streak of how many games? Twenty in a row? or something. Twenty some games yeah. in a yeah. row with a home run. I think Bruce's average is under two hundred though. Yeah. So somewhere Sandy Alderson is smiling because he's hitting dingers, <laughs> he's getting walks, yeah. and he's not doing much yeah. else. About that, about that first base and Daniel Vogelback, Vogelback came out of nowhere. Domingo <laughs> Santana, who I was really high on with uh, Milwaukee, he's damn good now. He's hitting well. Yeah. They are the three true outcomes kings out there yeah. in Seattle. They, home, they homer, they walk, they strike out. Tim back up, man. <laughs> but it's funny, in that division with like Houston kind of being what they are, don't you kind of think they could they could hang around a little bit? Don't you think? They like, could. I, I mean, seeing what they've done so far the first month. They I can, can hang, it, right? Like, yeah. Is there a team that's like, when they're cold, they're going to be a team that's like, when they're cold, they're cold. But when they're hot, they're yeah, hot. I mean, they're, I, they'll probably be like Oakland yeah, from last year. Because I wrote like an article on it where it was kind of like, these hitters aren't, kind of like you know out of nowhere guys like yeah. you look at the back of like edwin encarnacion's baseball mm-hmm. card jay bruce's baseball card i mean these are guys that the numbers are usually there yeah, i mean yeah. they could they could really they could hang around they could hang yeah. around they could they could be a tough tough team for houston to beat mm-hmm. um I, I could you know contending winning world series obviously not Absolutely but as far as showing up to the ballpark making it a game and winning anywhere between 80 to 85 i think that could be a possibility yeah yeah let's go to the national league for a little bit let's talk about the ridiculous christian yelich <laughs> because that guy is you absurd barry bonds what a yeah God. i mean this year first of all love that fact he's on my fantasy team he's been saving my butt <laughs> this year even though i saw a loss last week despite having him have eight home runs in a week which was a ridiculous but less that's besides the point it's this year, he's hitting 353, 13 homers, 31 RBIs, and OPS of 1315 on April 22nd. I mean, he just picked off where he left off last year. Yeah. That's as simple as that. That's another trade heist. The Marlins got absolutely nothing for him, <laughs> and he had five years of control in that trade. DeMar- who did they get? Who is the only guy they got? Like Lewis Sandy Brinson. Alcantara and Lewis Brinson. <laughs> Alcantara two, was Ozuna. That was that's what I mean, that's what I mean between yeah. all of them because they didn't get anything for Stanton. 
That's why they tried to hold, hold up JT Ramudo for a ransom because they yeah. said, you know what, we got nothing for two MVPs. So yeah, but it's kind of weird because Yelich's splits are weird, right? On the road, he hasn't hit well yet, which is crazy. It's like, okay, well, once that happens, what's he gonna be? Yeah. I mean, he's become a stud. Hey, he's see, he's the Cardinals. He has, he has homers yeah. against them. Eight, eight of those long balls are against the Cardinals. Well, remember, um, I mean, as a, as don't pitch, don't watching pitch him, arrows. watching him come in and play as with the Marlins as a Mets fan, you always kind of, you always knew he was a good player, and there was like a lot. He left a lot to be desired, right? Yeah, yeah Mike DeMers is on here two weeks ago talking about the Yankees. He said the biggest regret that they should have is they went after Stan instead yeah. of Yelich. Oh, no, and um, in the book I read and then on, on WFAN, they have been saying that. like when Well, it's because Stanton was just given to them, obviously. Yeah. But, um, yeah, you know, it has to be. I mean, hey, the Mets, I said it back then. They would have never done it no. back then a year ago. But that's a guy you, you give blue chip guys for. I mean, he was a gold yeah. glove center fielder. Who hit for average now plays the corner, yeah. but yeah, hits for average. He had the body in the in the frame to be able to make you know hit a, hit 30, 35 a year, and now right. he's doing it. I mean, this kid's a stud, yeah. and he's on a. Have you seen his contract? Yeah, yeah, he's getting nothing, yeah. nothing. He's, nothing. he's gonna get the Brewers are sitting back. They're just Oof. yeah, they are so happy right now, in Milwaukee, because like they got the big, probably one of the even more than Tampa Bay ripping off the pipe. The Pirates for Archie. Yeah. <laughs> like, this trade that they pull off on the Marlins, I mean, what Luke, a deal. And Brinson looks like, I get it, he's young, but he doesn't look anything like he's anything that crazy. I mean, yeah. what, he's got a long swing, nothing really going for him. <laughs> okay. Any big surprise in the National League to this point for you guys? Hmm. Probably Pittsburgh, to be honest. I kind of hinted at it before. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I don't think anything like... I think everything's kind of going well. Uh, maybe the Rockies too. I thought they'd be playing yeah, I'm a lot better. With the Rockies. But they are coming around. Last they played a good series against the Phils. I think they won that series. Blackman's kind of hitting a bit a, a bit more. Um, and I'm kind of made surprised with the Cardinals. I thought the Cardinals were going to be ripping through a lot more teams. Uh, Goldschmidt's kind of been uh, yeah. been off. Um, new place, new 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 team. Um, but as far as like glaring biggest, I think everything's going you know yeah. as we expected, uh, yeah. especially the National League East. Yeah, well, the, the Rockies. I might curse them because I feel like I do so bad MLB over unders. I took the Rockies in over, so of course they're off to a terrible start. <laughs> yeah, I took the Mariners in under too, so of course they're sixteen and eight, yeah. sixteen and nine, whatever it is. But one thing that jumps out to me, the back to the National League East, how bunched up it is at the top. I mean, the Phillies entering play on the twenty second, twelve and nine. The Mets and Braves are eleven and ten, and the Nationals are ten and ten. Mm-hmm. And you got Miami down in the dumpster at five and fifteen, but. Well, I mean, that's not surprising anybody. But like, are you surprised at the Nationals? I say, I actually am too. I actually, I'll say the Nationals. I thought they're going to be. I mean, it's early, but they they've kind of they've had games. They're, they're underwhelming, they, right? As always, yeah. There's just and that bullpen is whole. And, and you and I sat here and said they're going to win the World Series, right? I mean, we were <laughs> <laughs> Anthony at City Field a couple weeks ago watching them watching them oh, play the Nationals, man. and we were just coming home and Craig Kimbrell. I mean, not Craig Kimbrell. Like, I, we got to get to him in a minute. Who Kimbrell could help anybody's division bullpen, <laughs> but like, yeah. what's his name? Trevor Rosenthal. Goes in. He could not get it out. He for had like at least a week and a half. An, he had an, an infinity ERA yeah. for at least seven appearances or something, which is like you didn't even accidentally get anybody out. I mean, <laughs> but I tell yeah. you, that's why I hold hope in this Mets team. Going back to that real quick, because that Phillies pen is bad. Even yeah. uh, it's just I the Braves bad. But hey, I think they're all the all one thing that all all those lineups can do. They can hit hit the ball. They can put yeah, runs up yeah. on the board quickly. So yeah. and live update on Rosenthal's ERA is forty point five. Yeah. <laughs> so how, many, how many innings? He has pitched uh, a grand total of two innings. <laughs> get up nine earned runs. Good walked him, eight. Boy. Struck out three. Get up five hits. 
hey. uh, have a season. Right where he wants him. I remember back in the offseason, everyone was saying, oh, the Mets should have gone after him. He was a bargain. Because <laughs> nope. remember he was like an early, like one of those like December yeah. signings where yeah. you're like, oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, no. That everybody forgot about. And then, oh, there he is. Yeah, he's been pretty bad. I will say uh, that much. Pretty bad is an understatement. Yeah, he is pretty bad. And speaking of the, guy, the unsigned guys, who we are still a month into the season, and as at this moment, Dallas Keuchel and Craig Kimbrell still do not have a team yet. Well, we're waiting. Where are these guys going? I mean, let's go to Keuchel first. Do you have any idea where he's going to go? I want Keiko to go to the Yankees. I don't I think any New York I don't think, I don't think he's going to, though, because I mean, they let Gio Gonzalez walk today. I know. He, well, I, the thing is, I saw from uh, Keiko wants either more than his arbitration, 17.8 The qualifying or offer. Yeah, yeah, qualifying offer. Or he said he's willing to, to uh, uh, do a longer sw- contract for less money, for less yearly salary. I don't see anybody really... Who would want to do? That I heard right he's open now. to a one-year deal. Yeah, it's a one-year well, deal. He wants that. Uh, he yeah. wants the. He wants the, the pro qualifying ra- offer. The base of the pro rate amount be greater than the so qualifying yeah, one offer. One-year eighteen. So again, this is one where I'm like, uh, Brody. I know you're not listening to our podcast here, but go sign Dallas Keuchel or go sign Gio Gonzalez. I think Gio might. I've yeah. heard that they're actually interested in Gio. Yeah, because they watched Jason Barkas pitch three yeah. times and decided it's not tenable to keep I him think, going. Uh, <laughs> I think. I think eventually. The Brewers are just going to pony up and do it. It's only for a year. They kind of like that, right? They don't like the long-term money. For, um, I, I can see him going to Milwaukee. I, I, it makes the most sense because they need pitching. Yeah. yeah, But the thing is with him is you sign him, he's not going to pitch for a month. Yeah, I think that's mm-hmm. why Gio is more attractive right now because you can sign him in the next the next rotation oh, you throw ready. him in. Yeah, yeah. It's like that's what Mets should do because Mets could pop him right instead of Argus. And yeah, I think uh, I heard it's a ironically I heard it's the between the Brewers and the Mets for uh, Gio. Gio. But uh, yeah, Keiko. I mean, hell's gonna freeze over for the Mets to do that. Like really, yeah. like really. I I know Brody's pushed the Wilpons to do things yeah. they're not used to doing, but that <laughs> would that would literally I not kind of. I, I think we'd see a World Series before that. <laughs> yeah, the underrated thing about that, the Mets, people don't realize with the Mets, is that, yes, their their payroll is about $160 million, But their luxury tax, right? Yes, close. the luxury tax is close to $190. Which, mm-hmm. Because you, got, you factor in rights, money's yeah. in there. You factor in, set, you factor in assessment as his money. Not What's count, the luxury, 208? 206. Yeah. So basically, you you sign on them, you're going over the luxury tax, and I don't yeah. think the Wilpons want to do oh, that. Oh, that, that's why Kimbrell and, and, and Keiko are completely out of the picture for the Mets. So yeah. they were, they're not going over the luxury tax. I mean, not many teams do anymore yeah, yeah. anthony any thoughts on craig kimber where he goes because i'm surprised the red sox not circle i'm back surprised the red sox haven't tried to snoop him up or even the nationals yeah with how their bullpen's been I've, yeah I, nationals again I, brewers could use them yeah. <laughs> i mean the Braves just lost their closure for the season i mean he could bring him back home yeah yeah, that, yeah. that one surprised me i'm like i'm surprised atlanta was not all over this because they lost the race Vizcaino for the year they did really nothing in the offseason outside of josh donaldson so yeah isn't it kind of weird though that like they didn't jump right away like yeah. isn't it odd like if i were the braves and i actually i don't really think the braves i think they're another happy to be their team again this year right mm-hmm. yeah. like they're they're waiting for austin riley the they got i mean they're a trillion a trillion pitchers that are going to come up so i i i, I kind of get where it's like okay like let's see but still like Right when that guy like like, for the Yankees, you know, if one of them went down, I, I would think they would call up the phone and say like, what, yeah. pick up the phone and be like, what what do you want? I mean, I mean, who couldn't use it? If you're a contending <laughs> team without a closer, like you know, it's an old saying: if you're a losing team, why do you need a closer? But if you're like the Red Sox or like or the Braves, even the Cubs, but the Cubs have backloaded money for decades. <laughs> but still, <laughs> like 
how are you in the Nationals, right? I mean, how? Phillies. like The Phillies, yeah. How are you not getting – how is this guy unsigned? Yeah, well, I'll point to two things here. I think is the qualifying offer is absurd because it's basically turning into the, the franchise tag for baseball because mm-hmm. these teams do not want to get the draft pick. And the thing that's more important is that they – you give you forfeit a lot of your signing your signing bonus pool when you lose when you sign one of these guys to a qual- who got offered a qualifying offer. So like your guy, if you sign Craig Kimball, not only are you losing the draft pick, you're losing the money to sign to pay pay over the slot to get guys right. in here. Which for these small market teams like the Braves, that's a huge huge deal. That's something that's going to get redone in the corrective bargaining agreement next time around. Well, oh, sorry, no, but um, well, that's why, right? Because yeah. that's why because teams are so if you're saying teams are timid. And then the players are getting screwed because of it. Because, like, when what world does a Hall of Fame pace closer not have a job? Yeah. So, I, I, and I, it's a shame, right? And, and, and I think some people think Kimbrell, because Kimbrell didn't have a good World Series, right? He was no, kind of. Or what, even not even World Series, just playoffs. But, like, what closer does? <laughs> yeah. Like, Rodas Chapman basically had to pick his left arm oh, off yeah. of the mound. Yeah. Or Andrew Miller. I mean, these. That's what happens. Like, mm-hmm. just give him time. He's going to be there. And, and that I mean, is. The, the, the CBA has has ruined a lot of things, yeah. and that's one of them. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, unless you're Mariano Rivera, your closer is going to struggle the postseason at some point. <laughs> well, yeah, especially because now they pitch, like, freaking 75 innings and so on. I mean, Well, yeah, I mean, the game changed so much to the bullpen, especially in the postseason. It's just bullpen guys a, are worn out. But it's, another, te- it's another testament, right, to why you would want to sign him. Look at the Yankees. Exactly. The Yankees said there's no starting pitcher that we want to give this money to, so we're going to cut the game in half from the other mm-hmm. end. Yeah. If I were the Brewers, who know they don't have a good rotation or a good enough rotation. Just do the same thing. Do the same thing. Yeah. I mean, it's even the Phillies. Like, if uh, Nola hasn't been good, and they don't have, they don't, you know, Arietta Nola, who's besides that, Eikhoff, uh, Pafetta, uh, Eiflin, uh, like, wh- again, mm-hmm. it's all about cutting that game in half. Why would yeah. you not do that? Yeah, well, they got a lot of time to figure that out. We got, we've gone for a long time here, so we'll start, <laughs> we'll, we'll start wrapping things up here. Before I let you guys go, you want to talk about your social media and talk about some of the stuff you're up to? Anthony, I'll go to you first. Uh, well, I'm on Twitter at Ant underscore Sorbellini, A-N-T underscore S-O-R-B-E-L-L-I-N-I. And then my sports photography page on Instagram is Sorbellini Photos. Uh, actually just went to the first uh, inaugural home game for the New York Streets, the uh, new arena football league team. So I got to take pictures of that the other day. And, yeah, still working for uh, – still writing for fan-sided photography stuff on the side, just keeping going. All right, Will, how about you? Oh, uh, yes, still doing fan sighted, writing some baseball stuff. Uh, I'm going to be doing like a monthly Cy Young and MVP update. You know, everybody yeah. loves overreactions, jumping <laughs> ahead of the curve. Uh, yeah, so uh, I'm on Twitter at, uh, at Will, S C H N E I D R H 1. And uh, yeah, I'm pumping my articles out on there. Uh, cool. Thanks for all the time, guys. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Yep. All right. That was the baseball beat. We will check back in again once we have more to talk about. We even get to Jacob the Grom today. That was a fun, that was another fun thing, but. Oh yeah, not, not much happened there. I mean, he's got he avoided the MRI. I mean, he got the MRI, was fine, came clean, back clean. Yeah. came back clean, threw a bullpen. Looks like he'll be okay. So we didn't even touch on that. But up next, go this week's two minute drill. I'll tell you why spoilers for movies and TV shows absolutely suck. That's coming up right after this. All right, and that was our spoiler alert soundtrack just to give you a get you into the mood for what we're talking about here in this week's 2-minute drill. The idea that spoilers are a complete disaster for society as a whole. So, obviously, the big story this week in the pop culture world 
Avengers Endgame is coming out on Friday. Your preview shows on Thursday. And it's one of the most hyped movies in years. Infinity War last year is not holding a torch to what the hype for Endgame has become. Everybody knows who saw Infinity War, what happened where at the end of the movie, Thanos wins. He gets all the Infinity Stones to power the Infinity Gauntlet, snaps his fingers, wipes out half of life in the known universe, including a lot of our favorite superheroes. So we've been waiting for a year to find out what happens next. How do the Avengers win? And what happened in it is going to be a big deal in this culture. As soon as Infinity War came out last year, we had memes about the snap, about dusting. Remember the NBA playoffs were coming out, and we had a lot of memes about about losing teams being dusted and quoting the famous Spider-Man line, uh, Mr. Stark, I don't feel so good. We had a lot of those lines coming out in these memes, and a lot of it because the spoilers got out very fast. And Avengers Infinity War was so spoiled that the film's directors... Joe and Anthony Russo, who are also directing Endgame, issued a statement the other day to urge the MCU fans to avoid spoiling the movie. Here's what they had to say. To the greatest fans in the world, this is it. This is the end. The end of an unprecedented narrative mosaic spanning 11 years and 11 franchises. For all of you who have been on this journey with us since the very beginning, sharing every high and low with your family your friends, your classmates, your co-workers, investing so deeply in every character and storyline, laughing, cheering, shedding tears, giving so freely your thoughts and emotions in spirited dialogue, theories, fan art, and fan fiction. Please know the two of us, along with everyone involved in Endgame, have worked tirelessly for the last three years with the sole intention of delivering and surprising and emotionally powerful conclusion to Infinity Saga. Because so many of you have invested your time, your hearts, and your souls into these stories, we're once again asking for your help. When you see Endgame in the coming weeks, please don't spoil it for others. The same way you wouldn't want it spoiled for you. Remember, Thanos still demands your silence. As always, good luck and happy viewing. The Russo Brothers. Hashtag, don't spoil the Endgame. They are dead on with that. Right now, this society has become such an instant gratification society. We're in the binging era where as soon as Netflix drops a show, you feel like you have to watch every episode as soon as it comes out in order to avoid the zeitgeist on Twitter spoiling everything for you because some people don't have lives and can sit and watch 13 straight hours of a show and then go on Twitter as soon as it's over like, oh my God, this happened. Can you believe it? And not everyone has that luxury. Not everyone can be there on Thursday night at 7 o'clock to watch the very first showing of Avengers Endgame. You do not have to be that guy who goes on social media and puts out the big plot point, the huge spoiler, as soon as you see it. Show a little restraint. Please. Remember back, Harry Potter fans, you remember this. Remember the Half-Blood Prince? Remember Snape kills Dumbledore? That ruined the suspense of Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince for me as I read the book. Because I was sitting there going... Oh, man, Snape kills Dumbledore. How does that happen? And then I'm just sitting there going like, oh, he's going to kill him. He's going to kill him. He's going to kill him. And then you're waiting and waiting and waiting. Just You're not surprised at all. You're like, oh, did happen. Ever been spoiled on a TV show? It drives you crazy. I remember back in the early to mid-2000s when Survivor All-Stars on the air. I, I was a big, Survi- big Survivor guy. Back in the day, it was such a huge deal. I was reading a recap of the show on... I think Entertainment Weekly, I want to say. 
on their website. So I go down into the comments. Someone put the entire boot order of the season in the comments on Entertainment Weekly. I'm like, are you kidding me? So, of course, I'm sitting there watching like every week waiting for them to go, oh, this is when so-and-so goes home. Oh, this is when so-and-so gets voted out. Ruin the suspense of the season. I beg you guys out there, please listen to the Russo brothers. Do not spoil the endgame. If you see it and you want to talk about it, just ask your friends. Text them. Be like, hey, have you seen Endgame yet? If they say no, don't spoil them. Don't run the Twitter the second half and say, oh my God, I can't believe how they beat Thanos and go into excruciating detail about it. People live their lives. People should be able to go on social media without fear of having the movie ruined for them by people who just tweet immediately. This FOMO culture sucks. And you know what? Have a little restraint, please. I'm going on Friday night. I like to be able to use social media on Friday. I do a lot of work. I work for a couple of different things. I would like to be able to go on there and not have to deal with the Avengers Endgame spoilers coming up there. So please, show restraint, guys. Watch the movie. Enjoy it. Before you go blasting every plot point on Twitter, wait a couple of weeks. Let people see it. And then let the fun begin. All right, and that's going to do it for this week's show. I want to thank my guest, Joe D'Aloisio, for stopping in to talk about the NFL draft, previewing all the headlines. Will Schneiderhan for popping in to talk baseball beat with Anthony Sarbellini. And if you want more good stuff like this podcast, including my way-too-early analysis of the New York Jets and New York Giants schedules, be sure to check out our blog over on justandthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Go to any of those platforms, Search for Just and the Suffering. You will find it there. You can listen to all the old episodes. There's a lot of good stuff on there, so feel free to check them out. Feel free to leave your feedback and star ratings as well. This helps make the show even better going forward. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. And tweet me with the hashtag, don't spoil the endgame, if you agree with me about that. Please share that hashtag, don't spoil the endgame. And hopefully we can do something, combat this FOMO society a little bit, that you need to get the information out as soon as you have it, and that you have no self-control or self-restraint, whatever. Next week, we're going to do more NFL draft, NFL draft special. I have a guest, on, I have a guest coming on right, to try and break down all the big headlines in the draft. Also do some fan forum. We're going to bring in a bunch of different fans. You've heard, some of you have heard on the podcast, some you haven't heard before. Break down some of the teams in the, in the draft, how they did, how they're looking for next season. Talk about NBA playoffs as well. Who knows? Maybe something else. Until then, I'll be a better week than St. John's fans. Mm-hmm.